Okay, what are we doing? What are we doing? Oh, going to preach. <laughs> we are actually in our vision and action series. And this is week six, as Levi finally got to. And uh, week six of vision and action, we've been looking at Nehemiah. And this great guy who, you know, he starts off as a cupbearer. He ends up called as a, as a governor to go in and rebuild the walls of the broken down city of Jerusalem. And, and more than just a physical thing, that actually brought security. It brought a sense of national identity back to God's people. So what he was called to was, you know, a really, really big and important, critical task. And we know, of course, as the story unfolds, Nehemiah just faces all kinds of opposition to the vision. So the vision is to build the walls. And we've been, week by week, we've probably been looking at the way he overcomes those things. And I know, you know, in today's environment, it's amazing how similar some of the things that Nehemiah faced is what we face. And today, chapter 6, even more so in the current environment, uh, what we're going to look at. So I hope you still love me by the end of this message. But uh, there is so much going on out there and so much information overload. You know, from it, it's either people trying to stuff entertainment down our throats or bad news, it would seem. There's just so much whirling around in the public space. And, uh, and when we look at Nehemiah, he lived in a time that all kinds of things were happening, all kinds of streams of... Uh, of issues that he had to overcome and deal with. And some of them are very similar to what we face today. So we're going to dive into that because I guess what I'm looking at in Nehemiah today is how do you filter all the stuff, with all the stuff that's happening? And there is stuff happening. I mean, we're looking to go away this week, so I, I couldn't get away this weekend, but it was like I'll have a couple of days off, then I'll come back, and then I'll go away again next week. And all of a sudden, maybe I won't. Maybe I won't. Maybe our little holiday plans will be thwarted. And, uh, and so there's all this stuff going on, and it's like, how do I filter this? And Nehemiah is brilliant in difficult times at filtering out and staying on mission. And that's what I'm going to encourage us to do. So we're going to look at vision and action, we're going to look at three threats, and then three quality responses by this fantastic guy, Nehemiah. We're reading from chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Gershom, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Gershom sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Great name for town. Great name for kid. Come on, let's say Ono. Ono. Don't go to oh no. That's the key. Can you remember that? Say to yourself, don't go to oh no. Don't go to oh no. And so this is his reply. They were scheming to harm me. He knew what was going on. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? And the, the, just as a side point, I tell you what, a great project is a great way to push through troubling times, is to actually have something to set your heart to, and that's why we're talking about vision. Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. 
And what we see just here, just a quick observation, is this threat of physical harm. Just a threat of physical harm. Any of us have ever been in a situation where you actually think physical harm is imminent? It's a horrible feeling, isn't it? Whether it's a schoolyard bully or whether you've been in a, a workplace scenario where it's like, man, this could go bad. I remember as an apprentice, you know, a tradesman would send me under a car while it was just on a jack, just slip under there and pick up that nut for me. And it's like, there's a reason you don't want to go. You know what I mean? Uh, whatever it might be, but the threat of physical harm, you tend to go, as it's happening, or an accident. Think if you've ever had an accident. Who's ever had an accident, like car accident or motorbike accident? I've, had, I've fallen off a bike a few times. <laughs> and it's like, it happens so fast, but you've got time to think. You're like, oh, no, as you go, you know. And it's just this terrible feeling. And I've got this sense that that threat of physical harm that we see here, there's been a lot of that in this season for a lot of people where it's like this, and it's not quick, it's not like a motorbike accident, but this extended period of, oh no, what's going to happen next? What is going on with this? Can I just say, like, we freak out because we might say something like, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Come on, are you with me? Is anyone in the room? Yep, about the same seven, that replied to Levi, I think. <laughs> it's okay, I'm here for you, seven. Okay, um, and, and it, it's amazing that when have we ever known what was going to happen tomorrow? People say, we don't know what's going to happen, as if we ever did, as if we ever did. You never know what's going to happen tomorrow. It just takes something like COVID to make you realise that because when things are good, you don't realise that. You just assume you know what's going to happen tomorrow and then all of a sudden something changes and it's like, oh, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but that was always the case. But I've got this feeling that people are living with this same threat because of the pandemic. Let's move on. Just an observation, the threat of physical harm. Then the fifth time, this is verse 5, Samblet sent his aid with, to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported among the nations, and Gershom says it's true, one of the three stooges, I call them, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you're building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come. Let us meet together. Okay, so they sent out dinner party invites to the Valley of Ono. All polite, but he knew what was in their hearts. Now they're trying to put the pressure on. Now they're trying to manipulate him. And basically they're saying, hey, you've come down here as a governor to do this work, but we know what's really going on. You've come down to become a king and proclaim, basically separate from the Persian state. And we're going to tell the king unless you come and talk to us. And of course, if they told the Persian king, the king would have crushed it. And so this is this, again, threat of physical harm, but this time they are actually trying to manipulate him and listen to his response. I sent them this reply. Nothing like what you were saying is happening. You're just making it up in your head. Don't you love that? I think there could be a bit of that going on. This happens, you know. 
I know it's hard to believe, and I don't know why they do it, but people do this. They make things up. I'll never forget when Levi was a, a cameraman for a, for a television studio. I remember he used to sort of go, I can't believe what the newspapers print. And then one day, and I, I'd go, yeah, mate, you know, whatever. And then one day he brought his camera home and he brought a copy of a newspaper. And he said, right, I filmed this interview with a politician I filmed it, I've got it on my camera, read the newspaper article. I read the newspaper article and then he showed me, because he and the reporter had been in the same room, same interview, that was it. And I'm like, I look at him dumbfounded and I'm like, none of that's true. <laughs> like it was a revelation to me. But I'm like, everything in that article is made up. It wasn't in the interview. I mean, none of it. And he's like, yeah, I know, right? And I'm like, surely someone could get sued for defamation or something over this. Must be something to do with freedom of the press. I don't know why it doesn't happen. But it's like, wow, now that's a mainstream newspaper, and I'm not trying to rag all newspapers either. I'm just saying, people make stuff up all the time. <laughs> and Nehemiah's facing it. It's like everything you're saying, it sounds like a good story. I mean, it sort of makes sense. I've come down here with with plenty of materials and people to build and we've risen up and we're building and there's a lot of fervor, there's a lot of excitement. But now you're joining dots that aren't even there. And I think there could be some of that going on in this particular season. And he just replied by saying, they're trying to frighten me, thinking you'll, you'll collapse, you'll be too weak to work, but I prayed, Lord, strengthen my hands. That's the threat of false information, the threat of false information. Hey, does anyone, anyone around old enough to remember Y2K? We filled our bathtub with water and some of you young ones are going like, why would you do that? Because we were told that when the year 2000 clocked over, computers were going to crash, the whole system was going to fall apart and dams and power stations were all computer run and so we would have no water, we'd have no electric light or power and we'd be back in the dark ages. So I waited up. I had a brand new Pentium 75 for anyone old enough to remember those and I had it sitting on the desk in my office and I waited till midnight and it clocked over the year 2000 and guess what happened? <laughs> Nothing. We let the water out of the bath the next day because the taps were still working and the lights were still on. You know, can anyone remember the blood moons? Just recently, you know, the last couple of years, the blood moons, it's a sign of the end of the world. And it's like, okay, look, and we had Christian weirdos coming out of the closet, prophesying it, hooking it up to verses in Revelation and all kinds of things. Now, it's okay. Like, I'm like, okay, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. But God bless you for having a go and being passionate. Here's the problem I've got with it. No one repented. No one stood up and said, you know what? <laughs> I'm sorry. I got it wrong. You know, in the Old Testament, you would have been stoned to death for that. They would have killed you with rocks. And I'm not saying we should do that, Jesse. Don't, don't look so keen. I'm, I'm just saying, can we stop and think about some of these things? 
because people do make stuff up. They do make stuff up. And I think we're in an environment where that, you know, potentially somewhere could be happening because we've got to understand with everything that's going on at the moment, we've only ever got fragments of information. And I haven't got a problem with being concerned. I haven't got a problem with us thinking very clearly through issues. We should be doing that. But I do think we need to be careful about being dogmatic about things that we actually don't know everything about. We actually don't know that. Because generally people who do that, you end up being proven wrong by history more often than not. Nehemiah chapter 17, verse 17, sorry, let's keep going. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah and replies from Tobiah were coming from them or coming to them. For many in Judah, listen to this, were under oath to him. Now, Tobiah is a governor of a surrounding region and a very powerful politician. Okay, that's who Tobiah is. And uh, many in Judah were under oath to him. So many of Nehemiah's own people owed this guy something. They owed him an allegiance. Since he was son-in-law to that guy, son of Arah and the son of Jehohan, who married the daughter of Meshulam, son of Berechiah. And moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds and telling him what I said. And Tobias sent letters to intimidate me. So what Nehemiah is talking about, he's, he's facing physical threat. He's facing misinformation. And, and right here, he's got a governor in power in a, in a, with a powerful political base who's leaning on people, making them his informants. They're trying to sing this guy's praises. Now, Nehemiah knows he's nefarious, knows that he's got something against him. They're singing his praises on the one hand and they're reporting everything he says. In other words, they're spies. And so if we look at, if you really stretch this and look at it, this is actually governmental overreach. The threat of genuine governmental overreach where someone is using their political power to lean on people and coerce people and try and manipulate the situation. Now, much of that, much has been said about that in the public space, hasn't there, at the moment. And, uh, and so it's not new. Nehemiah faced it. And uh, the threat of government overreach, uh, Tobiah leaning on people. Look, when it comes to current circumstances, I'm going to try and not be too opinionated, but I'm going to give a few opinions. Is that okay? But what I want to do want to say to us as a church is hey, it's not the church's place to tell you how to think. I mean, sorry, tell you what to think. Except in matters critical to faith. I will tell you what to think quite boldly when it comes to the resurrection. When it comes to Jesus, the Son of God, coming in flesh, laying his life down for the sins of the world, being raised the third day so that you can live in the power of the Spirit. That's something I'm convinced about and something that I think I should tell you what to believe. That's the preacher's job. But in things that are non-essential to faith, it's not the church's job. People have said, why doesn't the church say more about this? It's not the church's role. The church's role is to teach us how to think. That's what Scripture does. Wisdom teaches us how. How to think about the things that are non-essential. And, uh, and I look at this. Hey, when, when it comes to government overreach, just think about a few things. Uh, number one, most of the people who say that stuff have never actually sat in the seat of power and had to run anything. 
So they don't actually know what it takes. Now, I've never been in government. I don't want to be. I think this is a reasonable-sized organisation, but compared to running a council or a state or a nation, it is nothing. And it takes all my time, all my concentration, and I make mistakes. And it's just interesting how armchair critics can be so good at criticism when you're not sitting in the seat. Okay, I'm just, I'm not trying to defend anyone. I'm just saying, can we think about this? And then the other thing is, so many people that are putting stuff in the public space, talking about government overreach or government mismanagement or or, or whatever, actually have the motive of wanting to unseat who's in the seat so that they can be in the seat after the next election. It's called politics. Who would have thunk it? You know, but that's the way our world thinks. Are you doing okay? You see, you're looking at me like you're not sure whether you're coming back next week. It's okay, I won't be here next week. I intend to have the weekend off. But the week after that, I will be back. Levi's preaching next week and he will answer all your questions. <laughs> okay. we just got to think about, hey, listen, when, when it comes to government out, overreach, we, we've just got, I, I don't know, we've got to stop and think. You know, in 98, I was up in the Maluku's in Indonesia, two weeks, I was in, in Ambon, two weeks before the thing blew apart, a genocide happened, committed by the Indonesian military. That's government overreach. If you're in a place where you can complain about government overreach, you're probably not experiencing it. Because you wouldn't be able to express your thoughts. <laughs> just a thought, just a thought, people. Just stop and get a little bit of perspective because one day we're going to be sitting in heaven, however that looks, next to a Syriac Christian whose family was rounded up by ISIS. And are we going to share government overreach stories with that person? Let's get a bit of perspective on history and the times that we're living in, Nehemiah lived through and he dealt with them brilliantly. So let's just, let's just pump the brakes and really think and use Scripture as a bit of a perspective for how we should be thinking about the world. Here's three things that he did. Here's his responses. His responses to physical threat and misinformation and government overreach. Here's his responses. Is anyone interested in his response? This is where it gets all positive. Okay. Oh, gee, I hope I've got a job the week after next. So Nehemiah lived in times of all this stuff. And it's just, ima- just, just amazing. Here's his response. And, and I think we, could, we can mimic his response. Realize we're not the first people to live in times like this. We are not the first people to live in times like this. This is broken humanity 101. It's just what happens on a broken planet. And, uh, and I'm not, as I said, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be well-read and we shouldn't be thinking and making quality decisions. I'm not saying any of that. But when it comes to, you know, people who just feel like they've got the starter's gun. Now, we're Christian, probably basically a Christian audience here today. So it might get a bit in-house. Is that okay? You know, when it comes to end times, what is it with Christians that love to think they've got the starter's pistol for the beginning of end times. 
We had that with the blood moons. Come on, let's talk about end times. Here's the interesting thing. I don't believe that COVID, a pandemic, a war, or whatever, none of that is going to signal the beginning of end times. The cross of Jesus Christ signaled the beginning of end times. And every apostolic writing and writer in the Scripture felt that they were living in the end times because it started with Jesus. So if you've got your starter's gun, you missed the memo, you're about 2,000 years late. Okay, let's just get, let's put that one to bed. The other thing we need to put to bed is the book of Revelations. Because there's no such book in the Bible. The Bible does have a book called the Revelation. One revelation. Not a, not a kaleidoscope of little revelations that we can apply and join dots that aren't there to current world events. But it's a book, if you read right to the end, is the revelation of Jesus Christ as the Lord of all history. And the story's got a fantastic end. John wrote it under real oppression, under Emperor Domitian in the Roman Empire, to encourage the church and inspire them and to lift them up and give them hope. And if you read the book of Revelation and get anything out of it except for hope, then you're reading it wrong. You're just misreading the Scripture and joining dots that, what about the mark of the beast? Can we talk about the mark of the beast for a moment? What about the mark of the beast? Well, which one are you talking about? I wonder if it could be that, you know, right from the time of... Let's talk about the Antichrist first. That's better. Then we'll come back to the Mark of the Beast. Let's talk about the Antichrist. Remember the, the Antichrist, the Antichrist, the Antichrist. Is it him? Is it him? Is it now? Well, which one? Which one? Caesar Augustus, when Jesus was born, was the first one to say, I'm the Son of God. Okay? He was the first one. Then there's a couple of others. And if you skip down to Domitian, where John's reading or writing Revelation, you've got uh, Domitian whose official title was Lord and God of the world. These guys use titles like this, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That was a Persian king before those guys. So which Antichrist, the, the, the Jewish people were very, very familiar with all this stuff. What about one world government? Well, which one? Assyria? Oh, no, no, Babylon swallowed Assyria. Oh, hang on a sec. No, that was swallowed up by Persia. Oh, hang on a sec. That was swallowed up by Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire. Hang on a sec. Then Rome. They'd just been through a procession of five one-world governments when John writes it. And people join dots that aren't even there and freak everyone the heck out. And honestly, I'm just saying, can we just think? Stop. Think. This is not the first time people have lived through times like these. It's just probably a good perspective to have on it. So that's how he responded. Uh, he stayed focused on the vision. He just stayed focused on the vision. He had a great vision. And every time he threatened to be distracted, that's, that's why I'm doing the vision series. It's like without vision, people perish. Yet in this season, we're all tempted to have our eye on everything except what God's called us to do and joining in debates and arguments and whatnot. And it's not the main event. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just saying it's not the main event, not by a long shot. 
pandemics, world wars have swept this world and the church's one mission and every Christian's one mission through all of it has been to proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified as the Lord of the world, as the Saviour of all, as the healer, deliverer, Saviour, soon coming King. That's our message. And here's Nehemiah and he just sticks with it. (laughs) I just love it. Through thick and thin through threat, through this, or not responding to, to false information or not responding to, to pressures, all of that stuff. And, you know, I know that I've talked to us about vision and I've said, hey, have a vision for your front yard. Chad's good at getting vision for front yards. Have a vision for your front yard. But no matter what your vision is, would you agree it needs to fit within the context of God's vision? And we see that Paul outlines that so, so simply in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 3. And he says about Jesus, his intent was that now through the church, the manifest or the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his, listen to it, eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, Paul is saying, you know what the summary of it? God's eternal purpose. In other words, everything God's about is about the church using wisdom. It's about the church displaying faith. Remember, no matter when everything in this world turns to mud, faith, hope, and love, these three remain. And Paul is just saying, look, this is God's whole eternal purpose. You'll, you know, have a vision for your front yard for sure, but everything that you vision at some point has to fit within his eternal purpose. And his eternal purpose is that this gospel of the kingdom would be preached to the ends of the earth, that we would be out there not freaking out, not entering into public debate about things that we don't actually know about fully. Just don't have the full picture, but proclaiming Jesus Christ as the hope of the world in a very, very dark season of the planet. That's how you keep the vision, the main thing, the main thing. Just keep the main thing, the main thing. And honestly, when it comes to things that are not core to faith, when it comes to things that aren't, Paul gives us clear instructions. He says this, let everyone be convinced, let every man... And woman, let them be convinced in their own mind. How are you going to go about this? He's talking about food sacrifice to idols. He's talking about um, uh, holidays, special days. He's just saying, you know what? Because it's not the core, let everyone be convinced in their own mind. I have no idea about the vaccine, folks. I don't. I have no idea about government overreach. I'm sure they're making mistakes. I'm sure they are. Of course, every government would. If I make mistakes here, I'm sure they do further up. I don't know about those things. They're not core to faith. So I've only got to be convinced in my own mind. And then Paul says, whichever way you jump, don't judge someone who's thinking different to you. Romans 14, it's all there. What's not essential to faith, just don't, don't judge others. They're convinced in their mind. Say, God bless you, I'm glad you're convinced. But I'm convinced differently. And they should be able to say to you, well, God bless you, you're convinced differently. So we can agree to disagree. And in the essentials, we have unity. 
and in the non-essentials we have love. It's pretty simple really, isn't it? Okay, keep going. Um, Last one. I love this because I love Nehemiah, but determine the kind of person you need to be. And it's sad, but often it's only tough times that make us think about this. Like when times are good, we're just sort of cruising, aren't we? Just cruising along. You're not really thinking about the kind of person you need to be. But when the wheels start falling off things and things come under pressure, all of a sudden I think that we're faced with, who am I going to be in this season? Who am I going to be in this season where things are tough? And Am I going to be freaking out? Am I going to be spreading fear? Am I going to be jumping on things that... I, have really, I really can't substantiate. Or can I stick with what I do know? <laughs> that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If you put your faith in Him, your life will begin again. And He will give you power to live it day by day. And because He lives, you know you will live also, not only in this life, but beyond. And one day He's coming back for us all. That's the stuff that you can put in the bank. Cool. Okay, I better wind up. I love this about Nehemiah. It says, one day I went to the house of Shemaniah, and I'm skipping back in the text, the son of Delaiah, the son of <laughs> Mehetabel, who was shut in his home. And he said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they're coming to kill you. And I love this. He says, but, but I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. And, and what they were trying to do was catch him out on a technicality because basically as a governor, he wasn't a priest. He couldn't go into the temple. And so they're trying to fear for your life, come outside into the temple and I'll talk to you. And I just love it. He's just like, you don't realize who you're talking to. I'm not going to fall at your feet cringing. That's not who I am. And I love the fact that he, he knew who he was. And I think in tough times now, this is where we get to choose. Am I a faith person? Do I come to church just because it feels good for me? Or am I actually going to be a faith person? You know, when we... we Think about scriptures and what God says about you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. 1 John 4, 4, the last part of the verse. First part of the verse tells us that we've overcome them. Okay, who's them? Antichrists. That had already gone out into the world. You know, people are waiting for the Antichrist. They'd already gone out into the world in John's time. Anything that's contrary to the Spirit of God is Antichrist. But greater is he. That's in you. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound thinking. How good would that be in the media? Come on, who are you? Who are you going to determine to be in this season? Someone who's anchored on the rock of Jesus Christ. You know, I wonder if we could just go, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But what I can determine to do is just lay my head on the pillow. And when I go to sleep, go, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So into your hands, I commit my spirit. 
And if I wake up in the morning, then I know you're with me and you never leave me nor forsake me. It's a great prayer for now, but wasn't it the prayer we were always meant to be praying? Didn't Jesus say, hey, you're a fool if you're building bigger barns and you think you've got it tomorrow? You haven't realised your life ends tonight. Now, he's not speaking against investment or anything like that. He's just saying, never assume, because you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. We never did. We never knew. So really, nothing's changed on that level. We can still go to bed, lay our head on the pillow in peace. Say, God, I trust you, whatever tomorrow looks like. I trust you, because that's what I've always meant, I've always been meant to do, is simply believe that you're good. I love what Jesus says. He says, take heed how you hear. With everything that's out there, it's an unusual phrase. And I, I Greeked it out to make sure I got it right, got it right and the translations were right. Take care how you hear. It's like, how, how, can you, how can you work out how you hear? I mean, you just hear things, don't you? But remember last week I talked about we don't see the world the way it is. We see the world the way we are because we have all these filters and we see through our own filters. And I think it's talking about exactly the same thing. And that's why it's so critical that we be faith people that are anchored on the Word because we're going to hear it how we are not necessarily what's being said. Okay, let me ask you a couple of questions as we close because I've really gone over time. You right? You good? You with me? You coming back in two weeks' time? Come back for Levi at least. This is my sins, not his, okay? So don't, don't blame him. Here's some questions for us that I think we need to ask. Am I so focused on this physical world that I'm neglecting the call to lay down my life for the gospel and for others? I think we've got to answer that question. Am I so focused about this physical world that I've actually forgotten about a Saviour who carried a cross for me, who laid down His life for me and called me to go into all the world and do the same? Or am I just really focused on anything that threatens my lifestyle and lashing out and fighting it because it might change the way things have always been? I think it's a question. Isn't that a core question for us to be asking right now? Another question would be, am I balancing the information I'm drawing from external sources, what we might call the news, with promises of hope from the Scripture? You know, just been on two days off. You know the old saying, you are what you eat? Look at that. I mean, I suck it in pretty well most of the time, but... Two days off and I can't hold it back. It's, it's over the top of me jeans. <laughs> you are what you eat. And you are what you take in. So, man, if, if you, it's okay. Research, do your study, do all that. Make sure you balance it with the, with, with the Scriptures. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you and balance that stuff. The fear, the negativity, all of that stuff that's out there, balance it with something that will actually encourage you. Cool? Or you end up going down a rabbit hole of no hope. Last question. Am I simply going with the flow or intentionally determining the person I will be in turbulent times? Am I determining who I will be? I can't change what's out there, but I can make my stand. 
So am I just getting driven along by things or am I going, no, I know who I am and this is where I make my stand. And it can be a faith stand. It can be a hope stand. It can be a love stand. And history, at the end of the day, will probably sort out who was right and who was wrong in the middle of it all. Are you okay? Why don't we stand together? Why don't we stand together? Nehemiah did it, pushed through times just like us. Who would have thunk it? 444 BC. You know, when, when Israel was invaded by all those armies and all those kingdoms, they all thought the world had ended. world as they knew it had ended. But here we are thousands of years later and we've endured. And I'm encouraging us to have that same spirit, that same heart as Nehemiah. Just recognize, hey, other people have been through it. I'm staying on vision. I know who I am. Amen. Thank you, Father. Today, Lord, I just pray for us. I pray that we'd see things the way that you see them, that we'd draw faith and inspiration from the Scriptures. Lord, that your Spirit would empower us to be people that reflect your hope, your love, your salvation to the world where we are, wherever we are, in every marketplace, every school, every family, every street, every, every educational facility, whatever we're representing here today, Lord, let us be hope, light and love there in the midst of troubled times. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, just before we go, if you've never, never connected your life to the life of God, I want to give you an opportunity to. And just right where you stand, right there, if you're like, you know what? I've never anchored my hope on God. You're able to do that in the simplest of ways by opening your heart to Jesus Christ, saying, Jesus, I want you in my life. I'm not sure what that means, but I want you in my life, so I open my heart to you. And Levi can talk more about your next step.